Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Comic Bento is the original graphic novel subscription box. Each Comic Bento contains at least $50 worth of surprise graphic novels from both the biggest creators in comics and unsung indie heroes. Plans start as low as $17.50 a month, plus shipping and handling, and brings you a new theme each month with the new graphic novels to go along with it. Head on over to www.comicbento.com to check out pricing, unboxing videos, and more. Subscribers can use the promo code SPOILERS, all in capital letters, to save $5 off on all new subscriptions. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we're turning stately spoilers matter into a giant mud pack. Batman versus Clayface, Clayface, Clayface! And Plus, Clayface. Silent Bob. Clayface, too. Man, I forgot about Clayface. Silent Bob goes to Central City, Vixen returns to the Berlantisphere, and Marvel prepares for Civil War II. Plus, news, reviews, our sparkling personalities, and pop culture madness combining into a megazord of podcast awesome. So sit down, hush up, hold on, and enjoy, because the major spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 659 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this podcast with a friend and listening. And thank you, everyone, who purchased Rodrigo's new book, The Tale of Tallest Rabbit, through the Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. Every time you make a purchase through that link, a little bit comes back our way. And in the case of this, you're sending Rodrigo up the charts, man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, as of this recording, on the first day of sales, Rodrigo, and this is all books being sold through Amazon... He now has a bestseller rank of number 513 in, nice. uh, in, in regular books. And that's all books at Amazon. And that's of, as of this recording. And he's number nine in the fairy tales, folk tales, and myths category uh, under children's books. So you are almost number one there. Congratulations, and, and man. Yeah, I, this, this has gone very well. So thanks, thanks to, to everyone who's, uh, who's gone out and purchased a book. And, of course, thanks to you guys for plugging it and i think actually in uh the uk and canada i'm actually doing even better whoa nice very yeah, cool i'm big, I'm big toronto <laughs> germans love david hasselhoff canadians love rodrigo lopez 
Oh. Actually, if you look at my, if you look at the list of my Twitter followers, they kind of do. Yep. You know who Canadians also love? Who that? Ashley Victoria Robinson. That's yeah, right. This yeah, week yeah. was the uh, this week was your great uh, Red Shirt Diaries episode that has you oh, uh, altering dimensions in time. City on the edge of forever, baby. That is the and uh, I say this every week. This is the best episode. This I is the best so. episode. It is it is fantastic. <laughs> Although I'll be interested. Uh, next week's episode, we do something very different tonally. So I just I'll be in, I think of them as companion episodes. All right, cool. Everybody can go check that out. Richard Diaries, you can find it over at Majorspoilers.com or you can go over to YouTube.com slash J-A-W-I-I-N and subscribe there so that you can get all of their goodness when it comes out. You've got more mm-hmm. videos coming up. Uh, are you still doing Supergirl? I am. Um, our technical difficulties are over. So when Supergirl comes back next week, we will have a double-sized uh, Girl on Supergirl episode and then a mysterious new show Ooh. the day after that. <laughs> I, uh, I caught up on Supergirl this week. Yeah. And I rather liked it. I cannot wait. There's a white Martian coming to Supergirl yes, in a couple in, of weeks. In the next episode, I believe. Is it next episode? I thought it was Toy Man first and then White Martian. Oh, you're right. Yeah. 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 yeah so it, it's going to be pretty cool. And so- uh, Matthew, mm-hmm. I cannot wait for you and I to get back to doing our flashback podcast that we do over at the members only site at members.majorspoilers.com. Right. I think the back half of the second season is going to be interesting because... Word broke this weekend. Kevin Smith going to be directing an episode of The Flash. Holy moly. Now, uh, there's no word on what episode it is, who the <laughs> villains are, or anything like this. All we know is that uh, the episode that Kevin Smith will be directing will be scheduled to air in May, which is right around the time of the uh, season finale. Mm. And a lot of people are both excited and disappointed in this news. Why would you be disappointed by that? I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith. I like him a lot. Uh, If anyone has seen his 2007 pilot episode of Reaper, it was the best episode of the entire series. Mm. And that's saying a lot because that was a good, funny show. But his his first pilot episode was fantastic. And so if he brings and he's super passionate about DC Comics, he does the Fat Man on Batman podcast. Mm. I I think he's going to love doing The Flash and be super, super Oh, what if, Matthew? Here's the other rumor I've heard. <laughs> Uh-oh. I've heard guess who's coming in the back half of the season? Who? The turtle. Ooh. What if Kevin Smith plays the plays turtle the in turtle. the episode that he's directing? <laughs> okay, so imagine the turtle leaning on the quick stop while Gorilla Grodd raps, Noich, Noich, Noich. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it writes itself. Bunch of savages I- in Central City. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think where some of the um, the consternation is coming from is that if you do listen to Fatman on Batman, he only started watching Flash and and like you know caring about it, I guess for lack of a better phrase, a couple weeks ago. And because he's a celebrity and because he put it out there, it kind of seems like it was a very easy job for him to get. And like mm. WB um, has a writers program and has a directors program, and it seems like that's their farm of people to pull from. And I think that's where some people uh, are like not terribly pleased about Kevin Smith, even though so, he'll probably do a great job. Yeah. I, you can see that. I mean, if somebody seems like they're jumping the line due to their, their notoriety, it could definitely mm-hmm. be, it could be something that would be upsetting. I feel like as far as his directing chops go, the stuff that he's, especially the recent stuff he's put together has been visually stunning. Red state is a 
terrifying movie. <laughs> and there are some really great visuals in that movie that I think would almost fit the super speed motif. You know, you have the the really, really fast cuts and the weird stuff and the death and the hate in the face. And then, you know. Well, I think it's he's, though, been kind of super chummy mm-hmm. with Warner Brothers for a couple of years now. It seemed like mm-hmm. he kind of had distanced himself from that. And he kind of went into the Fat Man on Batman series kind of a little I'm going to be real hesitant and I'm going to be real careful where I tread. And then suddenly he's like. Hey, I'm going to host this panel at a Comic-Con about, you know, not necessarily the San Diego one, but he was popping up on weird panels with like Jim Lee and stuff. And so it was like very strange to see him suddenly become super chummy with with Warner Brothers in D.C. So I'm wondering if that didn't carry forward a little bit more. And I'm wondering, Ashley, if he wasn't approached first to say, hey, would you be interested in The Flash? Then he started watching it and was like, oh, this is awesome. Of course, I would love to do something like this. I mean, that's probably very likely because the whole docket of directors is chosen well in advance of a couple weeks, you know, or even a month before the episode's going to air. But I mean, if you're outside of that and you're experiencing the chronology of like listening to the podcast and then the Mm TCA is coming out announcing this, like I see how people would see that and then be like, wow, it must be nice to be famous. You know, you know, that that whole idea of that. Oh, yeah. I I think maybe we should have released our flashback podcast to the wild instead of just making it exclusive for our VIPs, Matthew, because maybe they would incorporate some of our stories into into the show because I've been saying, I've been saying how long Matthew, I've said, Oh, I cannot wait till the turtle shows up. And you're like, no, the turtle would be a horrible idea. And now I hear the turtle is coming. It's like, (laughs) I just imagine like Matthew and Steven's ideas being like that episode of third rock from the sun where like Harry and Tommy write the X-Files (laughs) <laughs> they just kill everybody at the end. No, I uh, with the one, two, three motif that kept popping up in the first <laughs> season, I kept saying, oh, my God, we are getting the flash of two worlds. The flash of two worlds is coming, everyone. And then sure it's, enough, it's not a motif. If you're dividing six by nine and getting one, two, three. No, I mean, literally, if you watch that first season, one, two, three is everywhere in that first. It's season. the golden ratio. It's season it one, too. episode two. And there's three villains in it, dude. There's this Avogadro's number in the flash. (laughs) Yep. He's running exactly at Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3. Oh, my God. This means something. Uh, Yes, it means 1, 2, 3. It's a series of sequential numbers. (laughs) It's a match. So is there anybody not excited about Kevin Smith to direct the flash? Oh, sure. Nobody? Rodrigo? Somebody in the director's program. (laughs) Well, yeah, besides someone who's not on the show, yes. Mm, that's a that's an interesting question because I'm not watching The Flash. So I suppose you could say that I'm not interested in this news or not excited about these news, but it's only because I'm not watching The Flash, not because I have anything against Kevin Smith or The Flash. Um, what are and and I'm not like what is, but what are what what is what are uh, Kevin Smith's like TV credits? What has he what has he done aside from the like that for pilot? Reaper is basically the only one, and then there was a segment from a documentary that he's done. Uh, for television. And if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, he was doing that morning. He was doing a daily morning show with his wife right around the same time that that Reaper pilot was coming out. Mm-hmm. I think he's also I, done some spots on like late night TV where yeah. he's kind of, kind of like a, a reporter. Yeah. And he's, he's directed a couple of commercials mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. um, for television as well, especially for the Marvel's Avengers one. There was a great one with, uh, going to the school of Stan Lee where Stanley yeah, last year. Yeah. 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 He directed that one. And it was like him and Jason Mewes and, um, the guy from Mallrats, who's also in, um, 
The Walking Dead and Stan Lee, and it was like how to act like Stan Lee or something like that. It was a good mm. commercial. So he's done little bits and piece things, but most of his stuff has been movie work. Cool. Yep. Uh, so let's stay with the DC route for just one moment. Uh, during the, the, the TCAs, this is the Television Critics Association uh, press junket that they had over the weekend. Uh, they announced that Vixen, the animated series, is coming back for a second season on the CW Seed, which is their online thing. Uh, I watched about half of the first season, and I know it's they're very short, but the problem is it was online, and unless they unless I had it in my reader at some point, I was always missing out on it. You can still go see it, but it was strong enough that they're bringing it back for the second season, and they did say that uh, Megalyn uh, Ichikawoke, or Ichikawoke, yes. Ichikunwoke. Ichikunwoke uh, is going to appear live action in an upcoming episode of The Flash or The Arrow this season. That's going to be so cool. I think that it will be, be cool. too, because the animated uh, show takes place in the Arrowverse. And in fact, the very first episode of Vixen has The Flash and Arrow both talking to her and about her in that first episode. So, it, Are they voiced by uh, Stephen Amell? They and are. Justin? Oh, that's cool. Yes, it is very cool. So I'm kind of interested in this. I'd be more interested in live action Vixen, to be honest. I want more of that. But yeah, I like the fact that, that first of all, that they're doing animation at all. I love an animated series. You've got to love your cartoon type superhero guys. Well, here's what they said about um, a live action version of, of Vixen. Uh, when he was asked, uh, the president, uh, Pedowitz, said, at this moment, no. But at the moment, at this moment last time, Legends really didn't exist. Time will take its toll. There will be a moment in time. I don't know when it's going to come, but when Greg Berlanti and Andrew Kreisberg and Mark Guggenheim say, we think it's time, we're going to give them the opportunity to do just that. So it makes it sound like CW is more than welcome, welcoming a live action version of Vixen if they want to do it. Well, he did say in the next breath that he didn't think the CW was ready for a female led superhero show, mm, which I think bad. was mm. kind of an unfortunate comment. Yeah. And maybe a shot at Supergirl, but... <laughs> Well, and they still haven't ruled out. Now the rumors are flying again that there still might be an opportunity to do the Supergirl Flash crossover this season. But I don't yeah. know if that's going to happen. It'd be cool. I am disappointed. Maybe uh, maybe CW will pick up where TNT dropped the ball in. Uh, they said that they're no longer going to be developing the Titans. Teen Teen Titans series over at TNT. Yeah, so you know Roe Hepper is going to show back up on Arrow any second now. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Would you like to? Would you guys like to see? Excuse me, Teen Titans fall somewhere else, or Titans? I guess is what it's called. I do. Not if I get to play Raven, the, not based on the treatment they've been using. I would love to see Teen Titans, but I, I I'm old. I want Wolfman Perez Titans. I want your Cyborg and your Beast Boy and your Wonder Girl and your Kid Flash and your Robin. I and, agree. I don't think they're going to do that. You wouldn't want I, you wouldn't want Nightwing and uh, and Starfire no, no. and Raven. I, Starfire and Raven, I'm fine with. I don't want Nightwing. They're not getting Nightwing in a thousand years. No way. They've been trying to get Nightwing for Arrow since Arrow started with all the Bloodhaven drops. Like mm -hmm. you know, all those characters I, are tied up. I don't want Nightwing in any case because, and this is just me talking. In the year 2005, DC Editorial made it clear that they don't have any way to make Nightwing interesting to them because they can't make him grow up to be Batman and they can't run him back down to Robin. So he is eternally going to be in that neither realm with the Legion of Superheroes and all the other properties that the current editorial people just don't know what to do with. So I don't want Nightwing. I want 
Teen Titans. I want Robin. I want the actual, you know, bits and pieces. Even if it's something where it's not Robin, but it's a reasonable facsimile thereof. Somebody who holds that Robin role in a story with, you know, your Changeling and your Raven and your Starfire and your Cyborg. That's fine. I just don't want Nightwing because I feel like Nightwing is kind of a a 23-year-old version of Robin and not necessarily the teen version that I wanted. So, you know. I would I mean I agree with you. I would like to see something that's very serious like the the Perez Wolfman stuff was. Mm. But I don't know, it seems like everybody wants to make it a little bit more lighter like what we see in and not, I'm not saying the arrow isn't light because the mid-season finale, holy crap. Um mm. but I think they just want to go in a different direction and and try to hit a, a broader audience, which is why they said that they were dropping it, but my goodness, I I would think that that would be a, a home run. Uh, my youngest son has started watching the Teen Titans cartoon, mm-hmm. and he cannot stop talking about the Teen Titans. So I know that there is a not just funny Teen Titans, but I know that there's this market for good Teen Titans slash Titan stuff, whichever direction well, they want to go. There is, but uh, the problem is that they, you know, kind of in a broad sense, they don't really commit to the tone of the Teen Titans, right? You have Teen Titans, then they get downgraded to Teen Titans Go because Young Justice is coming out, which is the same characters Mm -hmm. with a different tone. And, you know, I mean, that always happens. It's kind of like what happens over at like Marvel's TV stuff where you have like 17 Avengers series coming out in rapid succession and they're all totally different. They're all like none of the continuity is the same, except they are like picking and choosing stuff from the movies. It's just kind of all over the place. And, you know, the Titans have suffered for it in the same way that they won't touch the Legion of Superheroes with a 10 foot pole. Mm -hmm. They won't. They actually just keep messing with the Teen Titans and, you know, they just never really commit. Well, they, they have literally changed the timeline and ganked a founding new Teen Titan for use in the Justice League mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Cyborg because, Yeah, but again, it's a good move for diversity. Sure, it's a good move for Cyborg, too. But what it indicates is yeah, that... Yeah, going up to the majors. Exactly. Teen Titans is a lower-tier property for them. They are fine permanently and completely flummoxing Teen Titans in order to have that boost in Justice League, which, again... Don't get me wrong. I love Cyborg. I want Cyborg. I want Cyborg to be Superman in terms of his his uh, profile and visibility. Sure. But you know, it's something where they're willing to cannibalize one property for the strength of another one. Which again, you know, your your editorial, it's your IP. You got to do that sometimes. But it seems to me that they've been half stepping on Teen Titans. You realize now that there's a, a limited series coming out right now, Titans Hunt which is retroactively returning the Teen Titans to continuity because they were actually, it is good, but the Teen Titans were actually erased from continuity by the Flashpoint retcon because, as I said before, editorial doesn't know what to do with those in-between teen characters. They're not kids. They can't graduate into the Justice League because then they'd have to move somebody out of the Justice League. And the universe has only been around for five years anyway, so... You know, it's it's one of those properties that's been in flux for the last at least 15 years, maybe even longer if you read Teen Titans comics. So a, a definitive TV or movie version would be great, but I think it will be a redefined movie or TV version. And I don't think that what TNT was trying to do was entirely tenable. And I think that's part of the reason why the show's gotten 
you know, not picked up the way they, they well, uh, announced. And I also think that it's because we never knew in the Titan TV show who the characters were, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is, well, we want to use a kid Flash. Yeah, but we got Flash over at CW, so no. Yeah. Oh, well, we sure. want to use I mean, we want to use Robin. Nope, that's a Batman thing. And we want to use Cyborg. Thing, oh, sorry, that Justice is the League. Thing about, that is the thing about Teen Titans. It is a fundamentally problematic property when everything is chopped up in between different production right, right. companies or distributors yep. or whatever. And the, well, that's why if they could have kept it all with like a Berlanti Productions thing, it's just the it's just distributed to a different channel. It's not necessarily a, it doesn't have to be a whole different universe. I the, think it it does though because I mean as far as I can tell Supergirl for whatever they say about wanting to do a crossover, yeah, yeah. the fact that Superman exists in that world is incredibly problematic right. for Arrow and Flash. Right, right. Yeah. Unless Superman's too busy on the East Coast, and since right. they're on the West Coast, they, I, they get away I, I, with I, stuff. I, I Superman guess. turns a blind eye. He'll just, IM them as well. get into it. It's, it's already, like, the <laughs> fact that Superman's around is already problematic yeah, yeah. within yeah. Supergirl. I'm, I'm wondering. Within, you know, Flash and Arrow. I'm wondering if we're not going to see henry cavill show up in like the season finale of this first season no way you don't no, think so not in a hundred thousand years i do not think so i think I, they'll they'll pay that male model who they put the superman suit on yeah um but i don't think there's any universe where you get any movie crossover mm. absolutely not. I, I and i don't think that supergirl can exist in the universe that is building into Dawn of Justice and Batman v Superman and all like that, I don't feel like tonally or the the what's the word that I'm looking for that's not tone. It's not the same world. It can't be the same world. If you've seen the tra- the teasers for Batman v Superman, that cannot exist in the same universe that Supergirl is flipping around National City and being awesome. Yes, that's 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 what you would say if you were someone who cares and analyzes the tone <laughs> of things. If you were someone who was in the business of cashing in on stuffs, then maybe you wouldn't consider it that way. There are a lot. I mean, that is my fundamental argument for any time there's a Star Trek and X-Men teaming up comic and a Star Trek and like Green Lantern comic. I was like, these guys don't make sense together, but people love them anyway. And... You know, it's like maybe that's a smaller offense, but that stuff never stops anyone. People right. love crossovers. Right. I just don't think like Henry Cavill did TV for a long time and he hasn't gone back to it since he started becoming a movie star. Like, I don't think you could pay him enough money to be mm-hmm. on that show. Stock footage. Stock I, footage. You know, I don't know. Those. I just know that we see a lot of stars are starting to, you know, movie stars are like, you know what? Television isn't such a bad place after all, especially but when it comes to. But not on networks. It's it's all in yeah. your HBO and your AMC's and or Amazon. It's just Amazon a thought after Netflix. watching the most after watching the most recent Supergirl with uh, Clark and and Kara having their conversation via the instant message again. I'm like, yeah. man, they are certainly. I mean, we know we've seen him in Shadow and and Sun Flares and everything, but man, oh. they are just really setting this up to be like. Let me just show up real quick and and we can team up together against all these uh, Kryptonians. Maybe maybe it's Tom Welling. Maybe it's not the Well, he's go. he's he's Henry actually Cavill. he's actually because, dead. Because he's a blur, right? Tom Welling is happening. Dead? He was being Oh, yeah, the blur. Tom Welling would be interesting, although I think he has said he has zero interest 
in being in that show because he's too busy behind the scenes doing everything that he's doing there. So what uh, is we'll, he we'll doing? get his brother. He is direct. He's producing and directing some stuff. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Um, I'd have to look it up real quick. I legitimately thought he had done one. nothing since Smallville. So <laughs> no, no, no. He's actually, he's kind of like Matthew and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about the kids from Head of the Class and how they've basically taken over kids programming and how uh, one of them is the producer of uh, Smallville. And um, I think Tom Welling has kind of done the same thing. He's gone behind the scenes and has become a, a producer and director of, of some stuff. You um, make more money for a lot less work. So. Yeah. He's was working. Let's see. He was working on Hellcats. He was working on. I I saw him just uh, a news story just the other day where he was working on something behind the scenes. Um, oh, but he's got a couple him. of movies coming up. He's got Parkland, Draft Day, which was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then The Choice, which is completed, it says, for 2016. Mm. So uh, so before everybody goes, man, all you guys talk about is DC, you DC fanboys. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The Knights of the Golden Circle are rising again, and Civil War II is just around the corner. Yeah. Okay, so nobody knows. This is the, not a good nobody story. knows what the Knights if of the Golden Circle shoot down. My thought, people thinking that I'm a, a DC over Marvel fanboy is all I'm saying. Oh, we know that you're a Marvel fan. Is that what you're I'm saying? A fan. No, no, no. I'm a comics fan. He's, oh, okay. he's, he's saying if you're going to hold up a story, he's like, let's talk about Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, now. let's let us talk about Marvel because this is kind of a big thing. They have announced that they are coming in with a Civil War II hero against hero because if it worked one time, it'll work another time. Yeah, right just like the movie, Secret but Wars the same too. name. Yep. So what do we know about this? I know I know a couple of things, but what do you guys know? I know what the article said. Yeah, <laughs> uh, basically Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> apparently there's and then if you're hearing the rumors, apparently this time it's Tony using someone who can see the future to basically uh preempt crime. So they're doing a Tom minority report minority report minority type report. thing. And uh, a couple of heroes, including Captain Marvel, find out about this and say, No, you shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, Yes, I should be doing this. And biff, pam, boom, pow, somebody's going to die. For a while. I would, I would hope that uh, instead of doing Civil War II, they would have just uh, moved on to the next American conflict and done, like, what, like, War of 1812? Yeah, yeah exactly, right? <laughs> there you go. Hey, I like that one. We win in that one. <laughs> the Canadians, yes. And then you can use Earth 1812, <laughs> which I think is the one where Iron Man is. Uh, well, they already did, uh, what was it, 18, was it 1867? 1862 18, or whatever it was. It was like 14-something. No, they did 1601, but then they did oh, a yeah, Western right. one during. They did the Cowboy um, one, yeah. Yeah, they did the Cowboy one during Secret Wars. I think it was, what, what year was. 1862. I think it was 1862, yeah. Yeah, and then Mark Miller did what, like X-Men 85? So. Yeah. Yep. And X-Men 92. and That's that's why, yeah. Just walk away. It's now time for Civil <laughs> War II. Mark Miller did 1985, though. Yeah, is, this right. something, is this something that, I mean, for those of you who are fans of Marvel stuff, is do you want to see another big hero versus hero fight? No. Look, so, I mean, for me, it's like Civil War was interesting. I was interested in what was going on during the first Marvel Civil War. Um, but there's just something about even just calling it Civil War Two. It's just like it. It just comes across with so little punch. It's like 
I, we there's this article I think on Marvel.com that is like in 2006, Mark Miller and Steve McNiven blew up the universe with Civil War. Now we're doing it again with two different guys and a different story. And it's just like I don't know. There's just kind of very little to be interested about, and the first thing that's uninteresting about it is just the title. I think my, I guess the problem that I have is I, I'm more problem. I have a bigger problem with the title only because it seems like we just got done with secret wars. That was a huge Marvel thing back in the day. Civil war when it came out was a huge thing for Marvel back what 10 years ago. And now it's just like, well, let's repeat the same thing again and again and again. And let's try to, to capture that lightning one more time. And it just seems like every time they do, it's weaker and weaker and weaker. Well, and they're constantly doing that. I mean, you just said, didn't we just roll out of what Secret Wars? That was yeah, that supposedly is the this... off of Secret War when <laughs> then and there was Secret Wars too. Mm-hmm. You know? It's yeah, just there's like a book called Secret Wars too. Yeah, exactly. It's just so obnoxious. It's like DC using the word crisis. Yeah, repeatedly. The problem that I have with Civil War Two is that Marvel has for a long time been locked in a cycle of massive intercrossover events. And if you read between the lines of this, this is like, remember when we did this and it was awesome? And I'm like, I remember when you did this and it started out awesome. And then it melted down because like every other pitch, we have this great sort of thing that ties into larger real world events. But when we get right down to it, what it comes to is, and then they fight. Here's, and if you, here's actually, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. If you think about C- Civil War, not Secret War, Civil War did several large things, all of which have been undone. They unmasked Captain, or they unmasked Spider-Man, rather. They killed Captain America. They turned Iron Man into a totalitarian douche, and they basically tried to militarize the superheroes of the Marvel Universe. And all that lasted about four years. It's all been reversed, retconned, and taken away. And the way this thing is written is literally saying, hey, remember when we did all this stuff that actually we undid immediately afterwards? We're going to totally do it again, you guys. Well, and then, you know, to make to complicate things, um, Marvel released a teaser today, which I'm going to bet we find out about next week, since that's when the solicitations will probably drop. Um, Dead No More is the teaser. Wolverine. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. It's a Wolverine thing. Like, we all didn't see that coming. Yeah, with a Wolverine movie just around the corner, right? It's like depowering Spider-Man or Superman. Like, they've done it so many times now that it's kind of impossible to do it and then have it matter and then bring it back and have me care. What, what it comes down to is the approach, the actual story, whatever Bendis is going to do, because essentially... This is one of those things where, okay, you guys, we're giving you this and you kind of know what's going to happen, but the real fun is going to be in the character work getting to the point where that comes together. So if you're someone who's reading, and don't get me wrong, Bendis' Iron Man is actually a pretty good book. I'm enjoying the first, I think, five issues that have been out. But it's really going to come down to how are we going to do this in a way that, first of all, ties into that big Captain America movie, which also I think has Civil War in its title. Yep. And do something that isn't exactly like the last time. So I I predict well, this, this is going to sell a millions and millions of comics. This time, I, th- I I think I know who one of the characters is that's going to die. 
and why Iron Man is all upset about it. Who do you think they're going to kill? A war machine. You think they're going to kill War Machine? Yeah. Boy, you killed my best friend. I thought War Machine was an Avenger in the movies now. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he is. He's like a reserve, quote, pseudo new Avenger. Because nobody ever said Avengers Assemble. uh, That's who I think they're going to kill in the Civil War II thing, so. You don't think they're going to kill the guy they killed in the book? Mm, Well, uh, not in not in the book. Actor, in the movie, actor, yes. In the movie, yes. I think Captain yeah. America is. But you don't. You don't think they're going to do it heading in the, to the, in the new book? No, no. No, they they've done that. By also, I don't think they've re re de-aged him. I think Steve Rogers is still eighty five years old. Oh really? Yeah, he's not hmm. actually Captain America right now. Sam Wilson Sam is. Captain is yeah. America. Yep. 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 And in retrospect, I think what was real genius about the first Civil War is that unlike almost every other event, which then fizzles out and undoes itself, it ended up in a real like, okay, we are about to make a decision about the Civil War. And then uh, they dropped the Hulk on everyone, which Mm -hmm. was like the best, (laughs) most terrible, most ridiculous Deus Ex Machina way to end a major event. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To have him just suddenly disrupt everything. So, So smart. It's like. They're like, okay, we are we have made a decision about this. Oh no, the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, that that actually was not a bad idea. Yeah, it was just it was really smart. <laughs> it, but it's almost like from a like, oh, we've written ourselves into a thousand corners. Yes, How do we yes. Oh, let's have a uh, little break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Civil War is so complex. I it would be hard for us to do that in one episode to review the original Civil yeah. War. Because there's so many spin-out stuff, the whole Spider-Man stuff is its own yeah. discussion. Even, and the the core Civil War book is actually really more of a spine, a skeleton yeah, on yeah, which yeah. to hang whatever issues you choose to read. Well, they did there that is, with there the isn't uh, a whole scroll lot of, of invasion. The main thing. Yeah, they did the that with the thing. scroll one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, everybody. Uh, you can find these stories and a whole lot more over at Majorspoilers.com. Dot com. Dot com, indeed. Not dot net, although, well, just use dot com. Let us do some reviews. <laughs> reviews. Uh, this week, I am taking a look at the Legend of Wonder Woman number one. This is from DC Comics. This is the print version. This is out this week. This is the print version of the digital first uh, comic. And this one kind of tells the story of a young Diana as she's growing up on Themyscira. And this first issue focuses on how um, Queen Hippolyta just really, really, really wanted this child so much that essentially the island birthed uh, Wonder Woman or Diana and the struggle that Diana has between the possibility of becoming an immortal and ruling as the queen of the island of the queen of the Amazons and this notion that there's something fundamentally wrong in the world. And if I don't learn how to become a warrior, I'm not going to be able to protect my people. And so this first issue really just kind of leads up to her realization that I have to learn how to fight and being accepted to become a warrior behind her mother's back. It's very fascinating because, you know, normally we see when we're getting the Wonder Woman story, we see uh, Hippolyta wanted a child so bad that she made her out of clay. And then she was raised as one of the Amazonians. And then she uh, disguised herself and got in a fight and went out into the world to become the champion of the Amazons. You don't ever find out what goes on in between those years. And that's what I think is so fascinating about this. Not because it's not, this is the question that nobody asked, but you're giving it to us anyway. It's not that way because it is showing the growth of this character and how she comes out (laughs) when she does arrive in the land of man 
how she comes out with her thought process. And I think it's very well written from yeah, that standpoint. Would you, would you say so far it's it's been successful in that regard? I think it has been. I think it really is. And again, we're we're looking at four digital versions or one first issue. And it's it's done very, very well. That's, that's interesting because Wonder Woman, when Wonder Woman arrives on the scene the thousand times that she's been rewritten, she always has like a very specific attitude. And I would imagine it's very difficult to arrive at that organically. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it will. I mean, I think they're trying it here. I mean, right mm-hmm. now she is. She is as a young child and she's probably she's not 16 yet. So she is probably uh, nine or 10. And she is. um, She is just coming to this idea, and I think probably because of her connection to the island, that there's something wrong. And of course, that's the um, allegory to something bigger going on out there in the rest of the world. And so I think that that's how they're kind of making these connections between her conflict as someone who is supposed to be royalty, but really wants to not only be smart, but also be a warrior and her future destination. So I think they're working it really well. This is a nine issue miniseries. Uh, So it's got a ways to go, but so far it's really great. And the art by Ray Dillon is fantastic. I mean, he's doing some fantastic stuff in this that I'm just amazed at. Uh, so if you get a chance to pick it up, go ahead and pick it up. If you're in the digital world, uh, you're probably issue two is probably almost complete over on Comicsology. But I really like the Legend of Wonder Woman number one. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. I just I just got a kick out of it. So there you go. Nice, uh, Matthew. You're diving under the hood this week. The black <laughs> hood. The black hood. It's actually out today. From Archie Comics, Black Hood number eight. Uh, the Archie MLJ heroes are kind of sentimental favorites of mine. Uh, partly because when I was very young and started reading comics, there was uh, the Red Circle Archie revival. Then I got heavily into comics in college, and there was the Impact Comics revival. And then a couple of years ago, DC did an Archie Comics revival. And I think what we're really showing is that they're not sticking. But the last run of Archie books uh, under the Dark Circle imprint really, I feel like, have a chance of sticking. Black Hood, I think, was the first of those. And it is the story of the Black Hood, who is a vigilante, but not like a, a Batman-type vigilante. This is very grounded, very down-to-earth, very much he's getting the snot kicked out of him in this issue down to earth and uh basically this issue got me by referencing one word that is important to archie mlj fanatics and that word is crusaders so if you know what crusaders means in history first of all hooray you get to be part of my secret club and secondly it's not that um (laughs) this story is actually part two of the crusaders (laughs) arc this is something entirely different written by uh dwayne swarchinski Art by Robert Hack. And by the way, I do love me some Robert Hack. I think he also does um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. But uh, that's not at all relevant here. This is a dark book. This is an adult book. This is a gritty book in the way that Charles Bronson's Death Witch was gritty. And it really feels a little bit like you can't really 
not reference Batman. You know, Batman Year One, the really, really early adventures where he's running around in the jacket. In this issue, Black Hood only escapes a fight because he manages to maneuver the guy who's trying to beat him to death with a baseball bat into a corner where he can't use the bat effectively. Then when he finally escapes from being beaten by these other vigilantes, the Crusaders, he finds that somebody stole his motorcycle and they're apparently chopping it for parts. Meanwhile, in his day job, the Black Hood is actually a police officer who has to account for what happened to his motorcycle. It's it's really interesting stuff on one level because it takes it kind of drills down into that what would a superhero be like if it were actually in the real world? But it's not quite to the level where it's the minutia of how do you fix a run in your tights? It's it stops just short of that level of almost anal realism and gives you more of a kind of a, a, a crazy man's life that you get a glimpse into the mind of a vigilante and it's clear that he is not all there. And this issue actually ends with a pretty impressive cliffhanger, which sadly means I'm going to be back on black hood next month. I missed an issue and was like, Oh, am I not reading black hood anymore? And I picked this up and went, no, no, I still am. Three slices of meatloaf for Black Hood number eight. There's conspiracies and wheels within wheels and violent violences and something really terrible in the back of a truck. Mm. I don't know what it is, but it is very dark. It is very almost nihilistic. It's, it's Gotham City, only without all the crazy colorful guys. It's just evil guys who want to kill you. And I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. So there you got that going for you. Um, thank you for that, Matthew. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about why we haven't seen Afterlife with Archie. Mm-hmm. And I was getting some weird vibes from the uh, from the PR people. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that uh, Sakasa, uh, Aguirre Sakasa, I think, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Sakasa. I say Aguirre. Aguirre way, Sakasa. So. Yeah. Uh, we know that he's the chief creative officer over at, at uh, Archie. But he's also been writing for the Supergirl TV series. That's true. Has he? Yes. And so I'm wondering if. I think he's a, is he a producer on it as well? I don't, I was looking to see. Yeah. He's also a producer on the show too. So. Oh. I'm wondering if uh, his time is being split too much between television and uh, CF, uh, CCOs to, mm. uh, to get back onto that project. Mm. Just a thought. But you had mentioned, uh. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and that triggered that right. that credit that I remember seeing yeah. on Supergirl last that's, week. That's yeah, written by Gary Sakasa and drawn by Robert Hack. It's really good. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, let us get to you. Yeah. So I picked up the latest uh, Dark Horse Presents, just number 18, volume three, I want to say. I don't know. But it's uh, number 18. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to review anthology series so i'll just say this uh, sandy and mandy is like super weird it's like really weird but it's usually been weird in a good way and this time it left me feeling pretty cold it's like they made some jokes about diabetes and it's like a weird uh comic with a weird point of view so it's like a lot of the times like what it's like if there's no frame of reference, if there's no frame of reference about what the artist is saying, it's literally 100% of the characters. 
uh, have this like weird way of looking at things. It's hard to tell when somebody is like, I'm making a joke about diabetes to make fun of people who make jokes about diabetes or if it's actually just a joke about diabetes, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's it like it kind of stopped me in my tracks while I was reading it. Right before it, they did a sister wives joke. And I'm like, all right, I'm on board. I think I get what you're saying about this. And then they did that. And it was just so weird. Uh, That said, there is a uh, this is like uh, number three, maybe five of uh, Alien Jungle Girl, which is a lot of fun. It's very purple. It's a very purple comic. I'm into it. Um, (laughs) Altogether, I'm going to give it uh, three slices of meatloaf because altogether, it's pretty good. It's exactly what you want out of an anthology series. You jump into a random issue and you have no idea what's going on with anything. But it gives you that incentive to go back and pick up the previous one. So, yeah, Dark Horse presents number 18. Uh, I'll give it three slices of meatloaf. Cool. And Ashley, you have something for us this week. Who is this from? Uh, this is from Vertigo. Ah, Vertigo. Okay. Yeah, New Romancer number two, uh, which is out next week, written by Peter Milligan with art by Brett Parson. Um, I really like this book. Uh, Peter Milligan speaks to my nineteen-year-old uh, English major self of the past. <laughs> um, in this issue, you get to see more of the effect that the Lord Byron Gollum Coombe Zombie is having on the world. Um, and you get some glimpses into Lexi's past that lead you to see not only why she's kind of this like weird loner chick who likes reading romantic poetry, but why she's also smart, like hyper intelligent enough to be able to code a program that would so accurately represent someone that it could imprint their personality into a corpse. Mm. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot that I can really say about it without spoiling like the backstory aspects, but it's really good and it this issue really sinks its teeth into who these characters are instead of just the cute um jokey dialogue that we had a lot in the first issue you also get to see more about casanova and how extreme they're taking this character um i really like it but if i were writing it i would have made it keats because lord byron's a jerk and he spends a lot of this issue being a jerk and so my only issue with this issue um, is that I don't understand why Lexi puts up with Byron's crap. Like whether or not mm-hmm. he's her idol from childhood, he treats her like garbage and she still ferries him around. Granted, it's it's like ha- she's half trying to get him to seduce this lady so that everything doesn't go terribly wrong. But she's mostly just like taking his crap. And, you know, if you're going to have a female be your lead, they should be strong and capable. So... It was almost a perfect issue, so I'm going to give it four out of five because I think that the world that Milligan is building is really, really interesting. Brett Parsons' art looks amazing, um, and I'm excited to see more. So you should pick that up next week from Vertigo Comics. On the 20th? Uh, I think so. Is yep. that a week from today? Yep, that would be <laughs> I it. don't math very well. No, no, that's cool. I just know because um, uh, DC had sent, has been sending us a couple of stuff in, in advance, so... That's why I just wanted to clarify on that. There you go. All now this, right. This uh, this comic is new NEW Romancer, right? Because I think uh, Matthew did the first issue, and I think we got a couple comments on the on the show where people are like, "Oh, it's not New Romancer," because they're like, "Why is <laughs> right. it? Why why is there like cyber? Why why is there all this stuff happening on my cyberpunk adaptation?" You know. <laughs> yes, that is correct. NEW. 
Cool. Right, thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Matthew. And listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and you can check out more reviews at uh, at the site. You can also check out the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. This week, we're asking you, which do you like more, action figures or statues? Rodrigo? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think that I like action figures better just because of the how posable they are. And I know that some statues do give you some options as far as like, you know, mm-hmm. popping yeah, out a hand. Out and, and, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I get that. And I get that the, the, the statue at market kind of uh, going for that a, a little bit more. Um, I think there's real pros and cons. I mean, this is this is something that I'd be kind of torn about because, you know, it's like statues look nice. Uh, you know, action figures with all their posability have like random holes where there's like a little silver ball bearing that you can see, you know. And if and if there aren't, then that kind of means they're not as posable. So, you know, it's like if you if you want a I don't know, if you want a Spider-Man that looks like he's doing cool Spider-Man things, it's like you have to get one that's doing a very specific Spider-Man thing or one that is made out is made out of spheres that are connected by, you know, muscly looking uh arms and legs and stuff. So, I'll go with action figures, but I'm pretty pretty much on the line. Ashley, what about you? Um, I feel like I like them for different things uh which i think is like crappy answer uh like i like this i like statuary to put around my desk so like because they're all really pretty and and and, you know ideally inspirational but i own like 150 times more action figures and statues Mm -hmm. so i feel like i have to own that also the price point on action figures is a lot more what i'm looking for (laughs) Right, right right you know like for 20 bucks you can get a pretty mean looking daredevil yeah um but yeah i do have um I do have a Spider-Man that has a lot of points of articulation in the hands, which is cool that they made it. But it's also like his hands are always limp now because the, the the nuts and bolts are really loose and it looks kind of weird. Um, but I think you get more variety out of um, your action figures. And as someone who obsessively collects a single character, action figures do me good. So that's, I'm going to go with action figures as well. Um, you know, I agree with you on the action figure side. I've got certainly a lot more action figures than not, especially now that the, um, they're coming out with the six inch, uh, Batman animated universe stuff. Oh yeah. I've got all of them. So I was like, I was like, I'm going to stay away from these as far as I can. Cause I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. And then I saw the giant man bat and I was like, Oh, I got to grab that. And then I was like, okay, let me start grabbing the other ones now. Um, yeah. but I went with statues just because I think they do look cool they do have cool poses. They look big. They they do take up space, but they take up space in a good way. And actually, I think pretty up the uh, the room that they're in. So I, I went with statues. I, I like those. I like those better. Matthew, what about you? The thing about a statue, aside from the fact that statues tend to be too big for my taste, and that statues tend to be too expensive for my taste, because you know I have no money. Statues have, it, actually, they're positive and they're negative. It's the same thing. The statue is a gorgeous static picture. A statue is like a really cool cover of Spider-Man leaping or Superman jumping or generally, from what the statues I've seen, Deadpool going pew-pew <laughs> and slashy-slashy. And you got your really great, especially if you get some of the really, really up-to-date designs or the really good sculpting. 
But I am currently sitting at my, my little desk, and my desk is actually portable, but on my desk next to my computer uh, are action figures of Gokai Red, Dragon Ranger, the 5th, 6th, 10th Doctors, Chun-Li, and the Golden Age Flash. Or as I like to call them, wow, what a great super team. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the thing about them is if I get bored, I can move them, and I, I have this little stickum that I put on their feet so that they stand up in case the desk moves, and you can move them around. You can do a little bit of posability. And of course, on the other side of the room, I have 185 the three-inch Power Ranger action figures, which, again, not as many points of articulation, but it's not the same experience every time. I feel like well. a statue is great for what it is, but the statue is like a cool cover, and the action figure is like maybe a book that you can read and have Spider-Man actually do stuff. Well, and even that list, you know, uh, that it, you are bound to find a lot more variety of action figures. Like, I have an mm-hmm. Orphan Maker action figure from Generation right. X. And if yeah. you don't know what that is, you are correct. You shouldn't know what that is. <laughs> you shouldn't. I haven't but, but there's a toy of it. There's an action figure of it. and But there's not a statue of it. I have an Aztec action figure. Yeah, Aztec yeah, exactly. didn't even pull 12 issues in 1994. Still Jason Inman's favorite superhero. But it is a good series. It's a great series. It's a great character. And he never gets any play anymore. But I, by gosh, have That's an action 52. figure of him. Yeah, I know. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I think that, that that is another big heavy that Rodrigo pointed out is there's more variety. I have a box full of the DC Universe select figures from the late 90s to the 2000s. I have the first 10 issues, or issues, the first 10 members of the Legion of Superheroes. And then, of course, I have the big collector's box that Stephen gave me for my birthday one year that has Matter Eater Lad and Wildfire and Colossal Boy and It's got Invisible Girl in it, too. Got an Invisible Kid. Yeah, yeah. Invisible Girl. Hey, Eric. Do not cross the stream. Eric says. Eric says I do have several action figures I quite like, but I much prefer statues. Although they cost more than action figures, they are more enduring. If I and if I'm buying something as to what amounts to a an art piece for the home, a statue looks so much better than a toy. Yeah. Uh, Tazul says uh, I buy a good amount of both, but the statues tend to display better, in my opinion. Uh, art guy, art guy, Charlie says, I vote action figures. Statues tend to look a little better, but action figures are significantly more cost effective, tend to be more manageable size and let you choose and change the character pose as you see fit. Justin says, I voted for, uh, action figures due to the Lego minifigures. Cause there was a question about do minifigures count as action figures? And I'm like, yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sidness says, I don't dislike statues. I just don't have room or the finance for them. Uh, Jeffrey says, I can't play with statues. Sure you can. And, uh, pew, 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 pew. So so I got a, I got a question. Okay. Where would you, where would you place your, uh, Funko pop vinyl, uh, things? Are they, they're action action figures figures or are they statues? They're action figures. I'd say they're statues. Yeah. See, cause they have very limited posability. Like they are basically the head turns, the head turns Or or their bobbles. Okay, bobbles all by. So that they fall not, into the they fall into the action figure category. I don't feel like they're action figures. Typically when we well, talk statue, if, we're talking about something that's made out of a um rigid material that only has the one pose. But like I said, if I can take mm-hmm. Barry Allen's pop vinyl and turn his head and then take Captain Cold and turn his head and then in the middle put Cthulhu, 
then you know that's that's an action figure. Well, there what are about your what about your Disney Infinities? Disney Infinities. Ooh. Those I I buy them and I don't play the game. I just yeah. like the way they look. I hmm. Those fall under those the have same to be statues, like, right? I Euro, mean, no, they don't they move. move. Nope. Yeah, they don't no move at all. Hero clicks yeah. are tiny statues to me. I would say yeah, that that's... those are the same. And what are those things that Rob wanted to drive all over Salt Lake City looking for? Hero amiibos. Skylanders? Oh, amiibos. Amiibos. Kind of the same thing. They're tiny statues. Sure, sure. They do have really nice sculpts. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. That, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a statue. <laughs> Big or small, statues are great. I just, you know. And they do vary. Them? They do vary in price because uh, Kotobukiya, uh, you can get some of their statues for in the fifty dollar range, and then yeah, but you, their blue Nightwing is still one hundred sixty dollars. Oh yeah, and some of them are very <laughs> expensive. Yes, uh, so I guess I know what I'm getting for you for Christmas. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> don't then, admit it, it's so expensive. <laughs> and then you know they have some statues that are tens of thousands of dollars, like the life size Hulk and Hulkbusters uh, that they that they sell uh, online from Japan. So you know. I guess it just depends on on where you sit. Uh, Matthew, I sit on my couch. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Matthew, where does the rest <laughs> of the Major Spoilers Nation sit as of this recording? Right now, 55% of respondents saying action figures, 45% statues, which is a total of 100%, which is good. 65 votes in the bag. Really, I... I kind of figured it would be because the thing about a statue is the people who are into statues are way into statues. Yeah, they're like variant people. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was one of the things that I was really surprised by back when I worked at the store was the statue market was relatively healthy, well, even at, you know, 55 and 75 and 100 bucks. And from what I've seen on eBay, the secondary market reselling mm-hmm. value, these things just go up, 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 up in price. I've got yeah. a couple of the uh, Batman animated series maquettes from not the, not the Justice League ones that they came out with. But uh-huh. the original maquettes at the Warner Brothers store sold. And even today, the Batman one, which I got at a bargain for $800 uh, about 15 years ago, is still super high priced and continues to climb. So if you're looking for something that does have some resale value, providing you're not setting it out in direct sunlight, <laughs> um, statues, I think, certainly have a much healthier resale value uh, than action figures would. You're playing Especially with your when statues they have a low, and you leave them in the yard, you know. Yeah. Especially the when they have a low print. Like there's um there's a Fables one from it's the uh, it's where the end of the first battle and Snow has her arms around Biggie's oh, yeah, neck. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They made yeah. five hundred of those statues. You can't find them for mm-hmm. less than four hundred dollars online. Or like the Frank Quietly Batman black and white. Yep, I've got mm-hmm. that one. Um I got that one because of there was a chip out of the ear, so it was oh, slightly yeah, yeah. damaged. It was the only one I could find for less than three hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the the DC, well, I shouldn't say DC, but anybody that's doing those kind of collectible statues, they make super low runs because people don't buy them or can't afford them because they, they are priced quite high. Those Batman black and whites, I think, start at $75 yeah. when you buy them new. But then because there's only 500 of them made or 300 of them made, or I think the black and whites, they make 5,200 of them. They do now, yeah. Yeah, um, they do. They escalate in price so quickly. Uh, uh, uh. All right, everybody. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Cast your vote in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Don't forget to use the comment section. We love reading comments. We love seeing your comments. Um, and I'd like to know whether you prefer action figures or statues or, you know, whether you like them both or neither. I know somebody said, I want to have everything. Um, well, so uh, Me too, man. Me too. I don't. 
Where would you keep it? In an everything place. I could afford to have everything. I could afford to keep everything. You know, the problem is that, like with action figures, if you had everything, you would end up with 500 Batmans. Well, that's kind of what my... I'm fine with that. That's kind of how my (laughs) statue collection has ended up, because I was like, oh, these Batman black and whites are really cool. And I've got, like, almost every single one of them. I have to now... I've got so many of them, I'm picking and choosing which ones I want and don't want. Mm. So Too many Batmans. Too many Batmans. Who would have thought that would have been a problem in my life 20 years ago? (laughs) Um. <laughs> raising hand over here. I need to buy all five copies of Legends of the Dark Knight number one, and I can't find a pink one. I can't find oh, a no, pink I've, one. Oh no, I've got the pink one, the blue one, the yellow one, and I think the what was the other one? The green one. There's five of them. There's a pink, a blue, a yellow, a green, and I think one that's like off coffee. No, was I, the I think there's only four. Fuchsia. Was that print run just? them just like turning off one of the colors in the CMYK. No, no each of the, each of the, they had this they had this weird wraparound cover that was colored a different color than the rest. But they, after you take off that wraparound color cover, everything else was exactly the same. They basically printed with a fifth ink, a fifth color ink, but uh-huh. each one has a different fifth color ink. Interesting. So you get the yeah, you get the big neons and the yellows and the blues mm-hmm. and the greens and the purples and the Fuchsias and what's a good color? Cyan. Puce. Mm-hmm. Hey, but listeners, yeah. head over. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor this week, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, Tweaked Audio has some great earbuds, earphones, over the ear things. They've got all sorts of colors, all sorts of different styles. My favorite are the PB ones. Uh, you can get them with an optional microphone. And best of all, when you head over to tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR. And you're going to get 33% off your price. Thank you, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Uh, Listeners, we kind of brought it up and you said you wanted us to do it. So we are looking at the four-issue Detective Comics arc, The Mud Pack. (laughs) Mud Pack! The Mud Pack. I'm not going to lie, I forgot that we'd even talked about this and then I read the issues and I was like, oh yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we had brought it we had brought it up in passing and then everybody was like, yeah, yeah, you guys should totally review that. And it's like, okay, here we go. Yeah. I remember, this is what, what'd you say, Matthew, 89? 89. This would have been the late summer 89. So it's this was- older than me. Right before I remember going to college um, and I'm picking these up and just being amazed at the, uh, was it Norm Brayfogle art, cover art? On these, I was just always like, wow, these are really cool. Here's Batman melting down. Here's Batman getting stabbed. And then reading this and going, well, I know who one of these clay faces is, but who are the rest of these guys? Mm -hmm. Um, Because at that time, that was kind of in the early 80s, actually, about 85, 86 is when (laughs) I started to get into a comic. So I didn't have all of that back issue stuff. Um, And so here we don't not only do we get one clay face. We get four clay faces, or really three. three. One of them, one of them, really didn't come back that well after the crisis. Three clay faces and a corpse, which is funny yeah. because they make a, a a big point of bringing in Matt Hagen to try to revive him, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then at least two other times in this arc, someone is saying he died during the crisis. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's actually the the linchpin of my thesis about this. Um, about this uh, four issue arc, which is what the crisis, which is which is that 
uh, or, or yeah, the crisis and that Matt Hagen doesn't come back, that this is not actually a story. This is actually <laughs> a, um, a structural ripple, a growth, a like basically the way that, you know, like a rainbow sheen forms on a puddle full of oil. Mm-hmm. Like that is what this is because of the crisis. This is, you know, what the crisis did was it took all of these random weird things and it consolidated them by force into a DC universe that was, you know, quote unquote, more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what this is doing. This is kind of like this little like repeater robot doing the same thing to characters that weren't done that right. that didn't happen in the crisis. Because by the end of this, we only have one functional clay face. Right. Sort of. Yeah. That's yeah. still clay facing yeah. anyway. It's in a way it's housekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the reason Matt Hagen is in here is because Matt Hagen was and to this day is the highest profile clay face. Doing a Clayface story and calling it Ultimate Clayface without <laughs> at least name checking Matt Hagen yeah. would not work. I mean, Matt Hagen was on in the cartoons, baby. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Isn't Matt it weird? Matt Hagen was the Clayface. Isn't it weird that post crisis, this is a totally quote unquote different universe and we end up getting the Ultimate Clayface? Ultimate. I just, just kind of laughed at that because I was like, oh, wow. I mean, here we have. Marvel doing a whole ultimate universe in itself. And we can see that DC is like, yeah, we've got ultimate Clayface here uh, trying to kick Batman's butt. So Ashley, what is this story about? Can you give us a rundown really quick of what (laughs) Um, goes on in these, in these crazy four issues? I don't know if I can, to be completely honest. Um, So the original Clayface's name Mm -hmm. isn't Boris Karloff, but it sounds like Boris Karloff. Basil Carlo. There you go. Um, and he was like an actor guy and mm-hmm. he is mad at Batman and decides that he's going to collect all the other clay faces, mm-hmm. including Matt Hagen, the mm-hmm. guy whose name's both start with P and the Preston girl. Payne. See, that's how much impact the story had on yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Sandra Fuller, Clayface 4. Yeah. Who spends a lot of time kind of looking like Lois Lane, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they try to take down Batman and they don't win because it's Batman. And then there's only one clay face left at the end. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they, they don't I mean, win because of Looker. Yeah. Oh, that's her. The outsider. Yeah. yeah. Batman calls in the middle of the Super, night and her boobies are out. Super minor character gets to be the hero who saves Batman. You got to love 1989. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Basil Carlo mm-hmm. wants ultimate revenge. Now, he doesn't have the ability to morph and transform like the other clay faces do. But he wears Correct. them. But he does wear a mask and he right. was kind of like a master of disguise. In his um, first appearance, he just wandered around with a knife and threatened to stab people. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of a lot of classic villains. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the forties. And right. and I gotta I'll gotta be <laughs> honest. How they how they wrote Carlo in this is great because he's just like half chewing the scenery, half I mean, he's like uh Vincent Price. Madman. Yes. Yeah, he is. He's, he's like Vincent he's my Price on Clayface. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Because he's just like, What's well, I was the most greatest actor of the world and now people will remember me <laughs> yeah he's oh, just he totally crazy of, um, he john lovett says master of, thespian um, acting martin landau and ed wood That's yes who he reminds me. Yes, yes yes very much so that is very cool <laughs> so in order to collect all the clay faces they have to break Clayface three preston Payne out of prison 
right? He's That's crazy. a alliteration right there. And of course, he is literally crazy. Yeah. His his mud his uh clay face ability is to actually melt people. He gets so agitated that he has to get the bad stuff out, and mm-hmm. so he melts people uh, and kills them. Preston Payne is out of that same classic detective comics run from the seventies that gave us the laughing fish story. Mm. Uh, from uh, Rogers, Marshall Rogers did the art, and uh, Steve Englehart. And I'm actually surprised that he's not the Clayface who has stuck around in the public consciousness because, to me, like his power set is much more compelling than the rest of them. And he is actually, well, until Carlo gets fully empowered, mm-hmm. he is the most powerful and most dangerous of the Clayfaces right. because he's the only one who had a body count speak of before this story his mm-hmm. whole deal is killing people because he can't help it and mm-hmm. for a while in the 80s he was as we saw at the beginning of this uh, married to a mannequin yep awesomely so that's <laughs> that's a thing uh have. with Clayface's fours um ability to transform and take other people's powers yes. they're able to capture batman rodrigo and make him watch a classic movie which causes batman to go crazy yeah, all kinds of stuff happened in this book. <laughs> Jason Todd was in the well, yes. sort of, yes. for a minute. Yeah. Jason Todd is in the cover of uh, something. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. You know, I got so excited. <laughs> yeah, I Jason remember, Todd had been dead for a year by the time this came yeah. out. Yeah, and I, I remember when that when that issue dropped and saw that cover, I was like, what is this? Jason Todd's uh-huh. back? And then you get in there and you're like, ah, oh, she's just fooling and... And uh, they're, freaking him out. They're clay faces. They change shit. Yeah, you have yeah. to expect that. But uh, as Matthew said, um, Looker comes and saves the day. Right. And gets a new costume that never appears again. Even even though Batman says, hey, I kind of like your new look. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> remembers it. You want to know how I remember this costume? <laughs> How's that? I didn't remember this costume. I don't. I didn't remember this costume either. (laughs) Okay, take a step back, sit down, and gasp like an old lady in a murder mystery. Ladies, (laughs) oh my, clutch my pearls. Oh, I did not remember that Looker had a new costume in this arc in 1989. And I'm not saying that to be self-aggrandizing. I'm saying that to say if any schmuck in 1989 had enough time to sit at home and memorize Batman comics, I'm that guy. Okay. All right. Uh, really, what we find out is this wasn't necessarily a plan to kill Batman, Batman. But it was more of a plan for Carlo to take uh, samples from three and four and transform himself into ultimate Clayface, which is more along along the lines with the Clayface that we see in the animated show. Mm-hmm. Or as I like to call him, Poop Man. <laughs> Poop Man. Which, which, again, is really just this idea that seems like the sort of idea a comic book company editor would have rather than necessarily a villain, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to get the powers of these four random individuals that all just kind of happen to share an alias. Mm -hmm. Right. That's Four. that's like that's like trying to get the powers of Martin Short and Martin Van Buren. It's like it's like But it makes perfect What are you going to get? Editorially you have mm-hmm. four different ideas of what Clayface should be. Right. Why don't we in our new streamlined universe combine them all into one, pretend this story didn't happen and from now on we'll just have one Clayface who embodies all that ever was Clayface. Right. He'll be the quintessential 
Clayface, if you will. Well, and I think uh, that's that's obviously what they're doing, except that they made one mistake. Well, they made a big mistake in the story, as far as I'm concerned, in that um, Clayface 3 has been trying to find true love, always Mm -hmm. wants to find true love. And, of course, he finds it in the form of uh, Clayface 4, which which proves that, you know, doesn't matter how you look on the outside. They're going to love you for you. And they get big smooches at the end. And so they live kind of happily ever after for for these two characters, at least up until they have their kid, Clayface 5. Whose name, by the way, Cassius Clay. Is that what Uh, the name was? Yeah. That is not a joke. The character's name is Cassius Payne, and they called him Cassius Clay. Yeah. That's awful. This is why I don't... Comics, you suck sometimes, comics. Oh, comics. <laughs> so that was that was the weirdest part, because, yeah, that, that new Clayface that came later just didn't do anything. Well, it's okay. Matt Hagen is back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the new uh, DCU post, the flashy point. This, by the way, is three universal resets ago. Mm-hmm. But it's still a fun story. It is. I, it's it's silly fun. And, you know, as much as I like uh, Basil Carlo just chewing the scenery and screaming about acting at the top of his voice, <laughs> there is one line in here that was just like a elbow to the rib, ha 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 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Batman is trying to track where the uh, clay faces are going to uh, attack next. And, of course, it's at the Gotham Plaza Casino Night. And he says to himself, bingo, if I had a dollar for every hunch that paid off, I'd be as rich as Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and it's just well, like, seriously, Batman, come on. You're making Alan, jokes to yourself. Alan Grant is really underrated as a plotter for me. I, I'm not always 100% on board with his dialogue, as that might have shown. <laughs> but I really love the way Alan Grant plots a story because yeah. he has – it's, it's almost this no-nonsense approach. It's this theory of, well, this is a universe that should make some sort of sense. And so we're going to take that most coherent idea and we're going to just smack it into shape. We're going to punch it in the face <laughs> until this plot is where it needs to be. We're going to make Norm it malleable. No Brave Vogel yeah, I mean, is going to draw guys all over it. I mean, it is just like – here are all the pieces, literally all the pieces, and we are going to make them fit by the yeah, end of these four issues. Into place. And the, and the crazy thing is, it is four issues. And yeah. they packed so much into four issues. It's like 90 pages, and man, there's a lot that gets done. This, well, yeah, because there's not three pages of adverts in every single true. issue. <laughs> true. And there's also, this is a point where... And I've said this before. I really kind of like the comics of the late 80s going into about 1993 because the focus is on serialized storytelling without the focus becoming so much on tying everything together and numbering the covers and making sure that all five of the Batman books have a coherent theme and tone and that it's all about the same thing. This was a point where Alan Grant could still – go off and do this thing. And then of course the next issue has anarchy in it. If you yeah, I was going to say that is the next appearance of a- anarchy. Yeah. I love anarchy. And at this point in time, these four issues represent a, how do we fix the logistical problem of Clayface? B, how can we make it exciting for 90 pages and C, and this is the important bit. Make me care about three random minor villains. 
Right. Because even Carlo in this is massively charismatic. I love Carlo. And when you get to the end of this, there's this little part of you. Basil Carlo is now this crazy ultimate clay face. And he's going to burn through the entire earth. And he's a crazy clay face. Better call and China. You, kind of, you root for him. <laughs> There's a part of us that is with Clayface at the end of this story going, go, Basil Carlo, go. You had to remake your own movie and now you can take it out on the world. Yes, get your revenge. And then you start to think maybe you should get some help and talk to your therapist. But more importantly, even Lady Clay, who had had one appearance before this, who was a minor part of a, a group of villains yeah. in a Batman and the Outsiders annual – she gets character. She gets nuance. She gets a love story. She doesn't do as much as the other clay faces, but she gets a little bit of an arc here. Well, I think she does more. I think she does more than any of the clay faces. Because she does half the recruiting by yeah. fooling the other clay faces into getting That's in there. You know? And like, she's she's the one that frames Batman by going out as Batman. Yeah, I guess that right. is her plan, though. No, she's yeah. following someone else's plan. Sure. No, absolutely, absolutely. But she's she's the, she's the workhorse of the team. She For has sure. the powers. She has the useful powers. Yeah, you know, the good ones. <laughs> Matt Hagen is basically just a homunculus leaning on a stick, and Preston Payne's got a bag over his face. He's useless. Ashley, what, what did you like about this story? Um, I liked the weirdness of it all. Because like I said, <laughs> like I got like halfway through and I was like, I don't know if I know what's happening. I don't know if I know what anyone's name is, but I'm having a good time. I think it's the kind of story that appeals to people, uh, not unlike myself, who really like their Batman and really enjoy their weird Batman and their side yeah. villains that they've never heard of before. Yeah. But I, I think that if you're not that person, it might be a little tougher to get behind. Maybe. Rodrigo, I also had no idea that there were that many clay faces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rodrigo, what did you like about this story? Uh, I, liked, I liked that it was pretty weird. I mean... The, it, this story invites you to not take it seriously, even at, you know, even though it like tries to do that thing where it's like we are going to deconstruct Batman through his brains. Like, it's just like. Now they're just like kind of borrowing the Scarecrow stuff, kind of, uh, I don't know, it's just like there's a lot of like obviously a lot of fun was had putting this issue together i feel kind of bad that i i think at times it is trying to play it straight and it doesn't work mm -hmm. uh, but also i mean just as a comics reading experience it's a lot of fun i mean yeah. i'd like i don't rem i don't remember looker once i thought about it i'm like eh, yeah she's that yeah she's that one chick but i'm like you know, I don't remember. I didn't remember Looker. I didn't remember Lady Clay or anything like that. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know characters to kind of get moved up in your brain and, and look at and have fun with. Yeah. I. Uh, what, what did you guys think of the art, Rodrigo? Did you like the art? This is Norm Brayfogle, who does some pretty crazy Batman stuff. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think, you know, from pretty early on, it's like the expressions are big and like everything's kind of um a little bit exaggerated so very early yeah. on you're well eventually you know you do know this is a thing about clayface right 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 right. so eventually we're gonna get some pretty crazy art here and we do and it's good it's like there's that actually one of the best ones is like batman like has a uh well we'll say clayface batman has clayface like by the collar and he's like warping his face and he's like ah, mm -hmm. like super demented great panel I, I think what, what's neat about 
Bray Fogel's art, especially Batman. Batman kind of suffers from the Iron Man and uh, Spider-Man syndrome where he's got these supposedly white fixed eyes, mm-hmm. yet he can emote so much through the eyes Ouch. just by exaggerating them so much that uh, it really comes off uh, really kind of neat. Uh, I I kind of forgot how much I, I kind of like the gray and the blue suit mm-hmm. of the of the late 80s, early 90s before Isn't it went it nice? completely ba- black. The one thing I'm I don't miss at all is the horrible Batmobile. I love that Batmobile. This Batmobile is the like most atrocious. It looks like a chunk of brick <laughs> driving it down looks the like street. A Roomba with wings, baby. It is a cool Batmobile. It it's, is awful. I mean, it's not a, a good Batmobile, but it's a cool Batmobile. I'm going to have to now go back to the uh, the Jim Lee Batman, that big, what was it, five-page fold out that he did of the bat cave that had like every Batmobile in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see if I can see if this one is in there. Cause this one is yeah, just, is. Blah. Ashley, awesome. did, did you like the art? I liked it for the most part. The thing that I did notice is I think it's in the second issue when lady clay is, um, disguised as Batman to frame mm-hmm. him. There's a, there's a, a knockdown drag out fight and it's all these big wide slaps across the whole panel. And that's like very cool to see, but every background is just, a bunch of yellow yeah there's no backgrounds on any of the close-ups and then when you do get a background out of him they're amazing and they're detailed and they're interesting to look at but because that's something that you know the detail of like every panel is very detailed is such a thing now Mm -hmm. um i was like where where are all the we're just yellow yeah, okay, that, and then I try to be like, is that indicative of something? And I'm just like, no, I'm just pretty sure it's just yellow. No, it's just they, didn't, <laughs> they don't. They can't fill up that panel. I, there are still issues today that do that. That when I see it, I complain about it too. It's like, come on, you guys, fill yeah. in the background, give me some depth. I don't need to see them up against a green screen. I mean, I'll give you like two or three of them, but when it's like most of the page, it's mm-hmm. really just striking that you've just used a color. So mm-hmm. that'd be my only argument, and I think that happens. I mean, you're right. It still happens today, but I think it happens more with older books. Right. Exactly. Matthew, what is there not to like about this book? Hmm. I can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Rodrigo has a few things then. Oh, go ahead, Matthew. Did you have something? I think that probably the only weakness of it is the reason that I love it. This is an 80s comic. And that means, you know, Zach and Rodrigo have said repeatedly these 80s comics and their walls of words and all this stuff and the thing and people are just talkity, 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 talkity. That's in here. And the fact that we're we're trying to use this story and, again, a cool story to really put together origins from 1940 and 1961 and 1978 and 1987 and turn them into a cohesive tale – that can definitely feel like work if you are not fully into it. I was. Not everybody would be. Yeah. Rodrigo, what, what, uh, what did you not like? Um, I guess, you know, the, the problem with this, uh, with this arc is that it's not, like I said before, it's not actually a story. It's kind of a spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that kind of all of the equations lead you down to what we want Clayface to be from here on out. Now, it's a spreadsheet that's made out of things that people that like comics already find interesting. So I think, you know, someone like Matthew approaching this as like, I know who all these guys are. I know what Batman's about. I know all this stuff. He can get into it. He can read it. It's like reading the Matrix. But if you're not, 
Like you just approach this. This is like pretty difficult to get into. It's weird. It's so weird. It's so comic book weird. And at the end, is it actually satisfying? Kind of not, not as a story because they were trying to accomplish something different. They weren't trying to write a satisfying story. They were trying to make it so that people later would be able to write satisfying stories with Clayface in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ashley, what about you? Um, I just, yeah, I kind of agree with everything that's been said. And it is, I mean, it's no Chris Claremont, but it's definitely a different storytelling style. And sometimes, I mean, for me, because I didn't grow up on it, it takes a minute to drop into that. Yeah. Oh, no, I can um, say, I, I mean, I, I have not read this in 20 plus years. So, yeah, um, it takes a moment to readjust. Yeah. And like I said, I think if you're not a bat person uh, with at least like I have just a very passing knowledge of who Clayface is, it was mm -hmm. apparently much more in depth than I thought. Um, I think without even that, it's probably fairly inaccessible. Here's here's the here's what I think is probably the best thing about this entire series is that what are we twenty years later? Almost mm, more than that. More than that. Yeah, twenty seven years. Twenty seven years later, you say the Mud Pack. And there are people like, oh, yeah, I know who the Mud Pack are, or at least are aware enough that there were multiple clay faces that teamed patch. up. And that is the weirdest thing, because we mentioned it in passing as a poll of the week, as a, as an off comment. People are like, yeah, you guys should review it. You should talk about this and that it's available. And that people still can have fun with this by the end, I think, is kind of the staying power of this weird four issue detective comics story arc. Put that mud pack in there, my eyes. Yeah, and you know, it, when you got a closing thing that says, you know, the villain is is falling out the window, and and he's screaming at Batman as he's falling <laughs> to the center of the earth. You'll pay for this, Batman! I swear. And then he's melting through. You'll pay. It's just good, crazy. I mean, it's good, crazy fun. Uh, and so, I, if you get a chance, if you want to check it out, you totally. Should. This is pretty. Typical post-crisis, pre, well, um, is this pre, this is not pre-Batman movie. Mm, yeah, barely. Just barely pre-Batman movie. So if you're wanting to get that little slice of the four years before the Batman movie came out and totally changed the Batman comics, totally I think this is a Batman. fairly, I think this is a fairly good representation of that time period. Oh yeah, this is, this is pure early post-crisis and I mean that in the most adoring way because some of the stories that came out of 87, 88, 89 became the new status quo. I mm -hmm. mean, this has a lot of influence, this arc specifically, but Death in the Family, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that came in there, Wally West as the Flash came out of that same time period, the revamping of the, the Teen Titans after uh, the new Teen Titans of 1980. All of this stuff that we're still seeing now today running around in the post-Flashpoint universe, chunks of it, big chunks of it, come out of the 1987, out of this time frame. And for good reason. These are people who, yeah, I think that part of the point behind this is how do we get all of our clay face streamlined into one good clay face? But then you sit down and read it and it's kind of a rollicking Encyclopedia Brown adventure. And I'm totally, I'm totally on board with that. I love it when the story can be fun, but also serve a purpose of 
maybe, I don't know, killing a blue beetle. Yeah. You know, if it's something you got to do, you got to do. And we all know it. And we understand the monetary realistic IPs and condoms in front of it, corporate defrassament, doodle bopper. But what it really comes down to is, do I remember reading this book and having fun? And the answer is, <laughs> North Bray Fogel Batman with the big square yeah, yeah. ears. Yeah, it's yes. awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Rodrigo, for joining us this week. Rodrigo, anything you want to uh, close out with? Uh, yes. I'm very interested as to what this comic bento thing is. It is a comic book subscription service. Uh, where basically they're sending you trade paperbacks, a collection of trade paperbacks every month. Uh, you can find out more at comicbento.com. Oh, very strange. Very interesting. Yep. Uh, you can also check out the tale of Tallest Rabbit uh, over at Amazon right now. In the time that we have recorded this, Rodrigo, you have now mm -hmm. broken the top 500 in books, and you are nice. number six in the children's books, fairy tales, folk tales, and myths category. I am. I believe I am, in fact, number one in the Canadian Kindle for stories. Awesome. Nice. Ashley yeah. Victoria Robinson, anything that you'd like to say before we get out of here this week? Uh, watch the Redshirt Diaries, www.theredshirtdiaries.com. We go to all kinds of different realities. We meet people from TNG. Oh, yeah, uh, that was great. Yeah, we were on special that joke guest for a long time. Week. <laughs> yes, Scott Mance from Access Hollywood and Tiffany Smith from DC All Access show up. Um, and listen to Geek History Lesson. We talk about Martian Manhunter. Yes, excellent. Very good episode this week. I'm all caught up on my podcast, so now I don't have to say, I'm about two weeks behind, Ashley. I'm actually listening to that this morning. So, very I good saw your I saw your tweet. You were looking for more stuff to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I know. And there's some good ones. I, had not, I think I'd listened to the Moth on and off before was one that you had mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm just surprised at the number of podcasts that people have mentioned to me that I'm have listened to and have completely caught up on like the Andy Daly podcast. I think there's only eight of those anyway. So it's so good. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Um, the only thing is, and this is what I'll say, and I kind of mentioned this in a tweet and I'm not supposed to, I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but um, if you're going to recommend a podcast, please don't recommend your podcast because it comes with bias attached to it. And so it's funny when people are like, yeah, you should listen to this podcast. And I click on their name and it's like co-host of the such and such podcast that they just recommended to me. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to listen to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if, if you want to recommend a podcast to me, certainly do that at Majorspoilers.com on Twitter. And uh, I think that there's not bias attached. I mean, there's certainly a bias attached to it, but it comes from a different place when you're saying you should go and listen to someone else's podcast. Uh, which I think makes it a little bit more important for me to want to go and check out. So I did find a couple of uh, new ones this week. So thank you, everybody, for that. And thank you, Ashley, for sharing your uh, uh, podcast with me. Matthew, I cannot wait until next week. Oh, man. When the Flashback Podcast returns, you can check that out at members.majorspoilers.com. You can also check out Matthew's uh, 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 10 things that he does on Twitter yes. on a mostly everyday basis. Well, as long as the child isn't sick, I'm shooting for five a week because I've got like, oh, I don't know, maybe nine, ten thousand things in my head. You can follow him at Mighty King Cobra. And of course, you can check us out Majorspoilers.com on the website. And until next time, when we'll come back, I think we have something scheduled. I'm trying to get an interview scheduled. I don't know if it'll work out quite right. But if not, we'll be back with something really cool and pop culture-y and comic booky because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. 
Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit